We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk and welcome back to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. James, Elliot and Paul will be discussing the uh, 2-0 victory home to Stoke, a game in which we should have scored a lot more than two, could possibly add another 10 onto that, but it wasn't to be. At least we played really well, probably our best performance of the season so far. I thought the fluency of our game was back, Our passing, the speed of our passing was excellent and we worked really hard to get the ball back once we've lost it and I think that's how we should be playing. All that's really good and uh, that's positive, but our finishing is um, pretty woeful at the moment. We had like some really, really good chances, several really good chances, as was the case at the first half at Newcastle. We're not converting at the moment. Um, hopefully that will change, that will improve as as the sharpness comes back, as the confidence comes back. I think confidence is a, is a big is a big factor in that, and that should change hopefully. But um, yes, we uh, scored the goals. Theo Walcott, Oliver Giroud, our two strikers, two main strikers. Our two foot strikers at the moment on the score sheet. So that's promising. I'm going to hand you over to the guys. They're going to go into more detail about it. And uh, we'll be back after the Zagreb game. Take it easy and enjoy the podcast. Uh, uh, hold on. One second. One second. Before I go, um, I'd like you to do, do us a big favor, if you don't mind. If you can go to the Arsenal Vision podcast page, there's a link there. explains how to leave a review uh, for the podcast. We'll be most grateful if you can give us a little bit of feedback about the podcast. And it will do us a big favour. So, um, yeah, please do that if you get the chance to. If not, fair enough. And um, I'm going to let the guys talk about the game. 
bickering about which striker to start interrupts bickering about which striker to buy. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you should have already blocked me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We are here with the usual crew, James and Paul. We'll get to them in a moment, but before we do, I just want to remind you that this podcast is supported by your well wishes. So if you want to go to some kind of site where they allow reviews and give us a five-star review, even if you don't really believe it, just write something like, they told me to write this review. That's fine. We'll take it. Um, in the meantime, I hope you enjoyed what was an interesting interlull and close of the transfer window. I'm going to disappoint you and say that we're going to avoid too much discussion of the transfer window because there's a WhatsApp conversation involving me and Paul and James that got tetchy and unpleasant. Uh, things were said about people's mothers. It wasn't It wasn't wonderful. So we'll skip that and we'll talk about the game and, and the ancillary issues surrounding the game, maybe touch on the Champions League game coming up and Chelsea uh, a week from yesterday. First, let's say hi to everybody. James is on Twitter at GoonerFanatic49. Hello, James. Hello. Hello. And Paul is on Twitter at Posnant in my pants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! I'm taking it back from Amy. Yeah, Amy stole your woohoo. If you're not yeah. familiar with that, uh, there is a small podcast called The Arsecast. Uh, there is a relatively unknown journalist uh, who is on the podcast, and she she stole Paul's woohoo. Anyway, let's kick it off right away. Uh, it was 29 shots in the game for Arsenal, uh, so even we couldn't fail to score with that kind of productivity. Uh, 2-0 victory at home against Stoke, and it left a lot of questions about the striker position, so let's just dive right in. Paul, I'll start with you. Um, Theo Walcott got the start. What did you make of his performance, the misses, the chances he had, and the goal he took? I thought he was great. Now, uh, I'm going to, for the first half of the pod, I'm going to ignore our inability to convert chances. So y- you might find me a little myopic on this, but hey, I thought okay. he we, was we great. dominated XG, by the way. Again, I think it was like 4.2, 0.2. So that XG league that we're in, we're, we're killing it. Yeah, yeah. So I thought he was great. Um, I'll tell you what I thought was interesting. Arson was interviewed after the game and asked about starting Walcott. Now, maybe he was just dodging the not starting Giroud question, but I've said this a bunch of times. I don't buy into the you can't play Theo against a parked bus at the Emirates because you can't get any more parky than these guys. And uh, Arson said that uh, Theo suits these kinds of games because he'll always find little pockets, make little runs in behind. And the other thing he said was he'll get two or three counter-attacking chances every half. So um, that that kind of made my heart sore a little bit. As we know, I'm, I'm kind of in the Theo camp. Love, love Giroud and all that, but I, I think he's a really good plan B striker. Um, so that gives me quite a bit of hope that we really did sign Theo for a reason, and he's going to get plenty of runs this this season. I mean, he obviously suits games away from home when they're coming at us because he's going to see a lot of space in behind. And Arson sees logic for him being used in these kinds of games. I thought some of the runs he made, some of the little runs, his timing has been recalibrated. I thought it was really, really good with the runs. I thought it gave us a, dyna- a dynamism in the front. You know, this was the front six we used in the FA Cup final. I thought... Uh, one of the things that happens when Theo plays in the centre is you get a free Alexis Stra- Sanchez at striker uh, for your money too. Uh, Alexis came in a lot and played through the middle. Um, 
you know, headers in the six-yard box kind of thing. I mean, he was getting right in there at times. Um, interestingly, Ramsey stayed wide right much more than he did before to kind of, maybe that was a T.O. factor too. Um, he's they, He kind of held his position on the right to give us a little bit more structure. But I thought that whole dynamism uh, worked really well. Sanchez came in a bit. Ozil moved out to the left quite a lot. It pulled Santi up into the number 10 spot. And it just, you know, the creation in the first half was, I just thought was superb. Again, putting aside finishing, which we're going to have a lot to say on, uh, I kind of like to block that out because the performance itself I thought was great, right right up there with, with in terms of footballing with some of our best performances mm-hmm. for much of the game. We slowed down a little bit in the second half in times, and I think a lot of it had to do with Tio and his runs. Um, but I thought it... it he just recalibrated where before, you know, there was one game he played where he had like six offsides or something, and he's kind of, it's only a fraction of section, but he, second, but he really recalibrated that. And that, uh, the goal we'll get into, but I thought that, you know, there were three brilliant uh, plays in that, and we'll talk about that, but I thought Theo's timing again was just spot on and a good first touch and a nice little finish. Yeah, the goal was absolutely sensational. There were obviously some misses that weren't so sensational. Um, and I think you could argue that the misses were where a classic center forward gets goals. The header was a really bad miss. Forget the rebound off the Alexis chance. That's just a miss hit. But then there was the one where the ball dropped over the defender onto his right foot, and he sort of tamely passed it to the keeper. James, let me ask you this about Theo and his performance generally. The things that Theo's doing well, are they things we could be getting from him even if he was playing on the wing, which would allow us to to use a more natural center forward like Olivier Giroud? Do you think that the things Theo struggles at are more traditional center forward play uh, type qualities and that the things he does well he could do from the wing? Or do you, do you really see value to him playing through the middle? Um. I mean, I th- I think the qualities he brings as centre forward can certainly be shown in when he plays as a right winger, um, especially because he likes to come from right and make runs inside. I think the issue is, given the way that we set up, and one of the major reasons why, you know, as someone like Aaron plays out on the right, or even when Alex does too, to to a lesser degree, um, he, Aaron's able to play a high press game. He adds a lot more defensive solidity. Our wingers do re- require a tendency to, to follow the fullbacks, um, to bring in that offensive work, especially not necessarily as much in a game like we played at home to Stoke, where we, we totally dominated the game and were rarely under the cosh in that regard. Um, the issue you have is if you're playing both a Giroud and a Walcott, it's almost, although the setup when going forward isn't like a 4-4-2, it's, it's akin to that of a 4-4-2 in that you likely have two forwards that end up staying much further up the field. So whilst he, he, he can certainly bring those attributes, and I think especially you see that in the way that him and Alexis have the ability to interchange, the fact that he's central isn't necessarily paramount to the um, way in which he's able to develop chances and um, potentially score goals. But I'm just not sure that his um, the other parts of his game are as suited to being able to play out wide given um, the setup that Arsen tries to, um, to have with this side. So... Here's a question based on, I think, 
a point that Arsene Wenger made after the match. He said, maybe if we have a regret, it's that the difference between the chances we created and the goals we scored is too big. Uh, Rod at rocket underscore gunner on Twitter says, do you guys care how many chances Theo Walcott and Olivier Giroud squander as long as they score at least one of them each game? James, which is more important the or, or more concerning or more relevant to you? The goals they scored or the chances they missed? Um, at this stage right now, Definitely um, the goal scored, and I think there's a lot of promise to be had in, the, in just the, the the quantity of chances, and it's particularly in this game, the type of chances we were able to create. Um, just because I think statistically speaking, I know we talk about the XGs, but I mean, genuinely, when you watch those chances, I mean, you, you think over the course of a season, plenty of those would be buried. Um, and obviously, Arsenal has talked about the cyclicality of finishing and, and the inherent sort of confidence that spreads throughout the team. And he's almost he's almost sort of grouped it up as, as, as a team quality rather than necessarily just from in, uh, one person to the next. So as A, the, the goals scored by both strikers will, you would think, give them the confidence to potentially have a higher chance of putting away those types of chances moving forward. Um, and hopefully that begins to seep into the rest of the side. The one issue you would have is there are going to be various points in the season where we're just not going to be able to create that number of chances given the, the type of opposition or just given the naturally over a course of a season there are going to be times where we just don't have that attacking um, quality for whatever reason, you know, slightly underperform and you only get a couple of good chances and they're going to need to be put away. Um, but right now the key is creating plenty and being able to build that confidence so that when when those kind of matches do come around, you would think that um, they would be the type of players that would that, that you could rely on to to score an, an important goal in a in a much scrappier affair, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Paul Gunnar Kadar, Kadar, I apologize uh, already. First mispronunciation of the show. Many more to come. At Kadar, that's K H A D A R. Anyone have a thought there? Kadar. I'm going with Kadar. Okay. Uh, Kadar M09 at Twitter uh, asks, why does every goalkeeper turn into a superhero against us? Is it just luck or our style? Paul, do you think there's something to this? I mean, is it just the fact that we aren't clinical enough with chances and we make these keepers look great? Um, Is it the fact that a keeper who's active, who has to be involved in the match very actively, tends to be more on point. I mean, Butland was spectacular in the game. Is that really a big part of why we didn't score the goals we should have, or, or is it the finishing? Well, it certainly was yesterday. I mean, he was spectacular. But isn't it a bit of the old um, why do referees always have it in just for us mentality that we all have? I mean, I'm not not denying I feel the same way as, as Kadar. So you're saying um, it's got like confirmation bias? It's because we watch yeah. Arsenal, so we think keepers are having blinders against us? Yeah, and I'm not saying they're not having blinders. <laughs> they do all the no, same but, but they could. Yeah, they could against other teams as well. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, think the, the Sanchez a... save, that save, I mean, it, it hasn't been talked about a lot, but that's a goal every day of the week. I don't know how we got anything on that. Yeah, it's incredible. And, and you then know, we wouldn't Kishon... have to talk about Theo's shocking miss if he hadn't saved Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but it does, it, I did want to say a little bit on that. I, you know, I did a little squawker comparison. I know we're all rolling our eyes of the strikers. I saw that, Paul, and I am I am going to tell you right now that... Well, hang on, I haven't made my point yet. Okay, <laughs> go on. Right. 
It's just to say, I'm not saying our strikers are fine and, and there's nothing to... Well, maybe they are, but to... you're comparing four games of statistics. <laughs> exactly. But so are we. Fair enough. Know. So you take the... here's For those who didn't see it, it, it was a bit naughty. I understand that. I took the strikers for the top eight teams in theory, like your Liverpools, your Everton's even... Your City, your Chelsea, your... Aguero, Lukaku, Benteke, Rui... Yeah, the main men, Yo. and our main men. And, and, you know, ours are no worse and actually a little bit better than all of them for shots, number of shots taken, number of goals scored, and uh, the conversion rate, they're kind of in the middle of the pack. And my only point of, the, of that is really the point you're making. It's early days. These guys are still finding their feet. The... The the rewarding thing is the one thing all of those strikers would need to get their confidence is a whole bunch of chances to shoot, and probably only us and City are guaranteed that. And I I just think we're playing as exciting football as anybody, and over the weekend playing better football than City. So yeah, I know. look we're playing uh, our football has improved. Okay, yeah. and and I won't deny okay. that. I mean, but here's a question for you then. You know, we talk about chance conversion almost like it's just a statistic that will eventually regress to the mean. But chance conversion is a skill. It's scoring. It's it's finishing. I mean, if Danny Welbeck was a great finisher, he would be the star striker for Manchester United, not a relatively low-cost end-of-the-window buy for Arsenal. Um, he'd still be crocked, but that's a different issue. But, I mean... Is it reasonable to just assume that all these chances we're creating will eventually turn into some kind of average strike rate? Or is it more reasonable to say, Paul, that finishing is a skill and maybe the guys that the chances are falling to on our team will never be clinical finishers? But the stats would show this finishing isn't a skill apart from in a, a very small handful of players, and we don't have one. Well, of I mean, it is. I couldn't do it, right? I mean, if you gave me all the chances Arsenal get, I'd, I'd finish none of them. But, so some level, so, it's a skill. One of the things is conversion rates are not predictable from one season to another. Even in people like Aguero, he can be, you know, 16% one season. 25% the, ne the next season. Well, he's so a shot monster too, right? I mean, he gets a lot of shots. You know, we, we look so, at it yesterday. Walcott had eight shots, five on goal, and he got a goal. It, it, it does prove the point that you shoot a lot, you're going to score eventually, right? Sometimes you can't beat quantity. It, the second thing is it's going to help these guys find their feet, whereas if you're only getting a couple of shots a game and your confidence is a little off, which every striker is going to run into, our striker and city strikers are going to get their opportunities to get their game back together. And as we know, Theo's been out for a year, and he's only played a handful of games in 18 months. Mm -hmm. And he's only been a starter for a, ha for a couple of games, and he's only been a striker in his whole career for a few games. So I'm, uh, I mean, he's never going to be Aguero. He's never going to take, we all know Theo is always going to be one of those strikers we put our head in our hands over, the one he misses. But on the other hand, like many strikers, I mean, if, if put it another way, if Aguero took all his easy chances, because he doesn't, why does he need to score those incredible goals? Because he's still only averaging one goal per game. So, well, strikers, I, take, I take that. 
<laughs> I know, but so is Theo. Was <laughs> it 38 goals if you play a whole season? No, I, yeah, I get it. But I mean, so, Paul, also, let, here's where I have to stop you for a second. Intellectually, you can always make something sound like a reasonable argument. But I want to stop you to make sure that everybody accepts that you're a reasonable man. You would not in a million years suggest that Theo Walcott is even in the same school, let alone class, that Sergio Aguero is. Would you really? I mean, can um, you possibly so make no. that argument? I think Aguero no, is no. closer no, to I, Messi than yeah. he Walcott. Yeah, Aguero's brilliant. Theo isn't brilliant. But Theo is br- world-class and brilliant and a few narrow little things. Okay. His runs are brilliant. Yeah, I I mean, look, I love Theo. You and I are on the same team when it comes yeah. to Theo Walcott, and, and I would start him next week, and we'll get to that. But I, I just think the problem – this is where I think we can be intellectually dishonest, all of us. We're all intelligent people who can make a compelling argument, and sometimes trying to make a compelling argument that isn't reasonable can discredit some of the other things you say. I think if if you start comparing Walcott to Aguero statistically, it's an intellectually dishonest argument because they're not – they're just not the same class of player. Um, yeah, but but that is taking us to a place that uh, I was never making that point. Okay, I I'm, apologize then. I was making the, you know, they all have statistically, you look at Aguero. Uh, I mean, I watched him, I think it was the first game he had six chances. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, I'm not sure, I think he scored that game. But he missed some some chances that Theo would have been very good at missing too. Yeah, so, look, I mean, Messi misses uh, chances, but he can win a game all on his own, you know? Well, even Messi's this this whole other thing. But Aguero misses a lot of good chances too. So when we, my point being, when you look at Theo and you're pulling your hair out, um, the, the, Theo has an extra factor to when he misses. I mean, he looks worse than Aguero when he misses. But it doesn't matter in the end. It matters whether you convert a goal. Okay. And his conversion rate last year in a small sample was good. But let's give you know, let's give him a little time. He's never going to be Aguero, but there's goals Tio scores that Aguero's never going to score. Again, it sounds like I'm I'm saying he's as good as Aguero. He may he may just be good enough for what we need. He just needs to be better than the others and we we need to produce a whole bunch of chances. And he needs to get his confidence up, and we'll be fine. So, yeah, uh, look, like I, you say, it's very early in the season. And it's only a small sample, but if you, we're getting all worked up about Theo and Ollie, and and I saw, you know, it's frustrating for me when I see us missing all these chances. But it's kind of, it's too early to say. That's why I wanted to, in my own mind, break the performance yesterday into the game and our conversion rates, because our play yesterday was. Top class for probably 70, 80% of the game. And Theo's a part of that. You can't throw the baby out with it. You can't say, oh, let's play Theo on the right and have the same performance. You're not going to get the same performance. Okay. That, was, uh, that front six was like against Aston Villa. We went in at halftime, 1 0 up. It was no different to the Aston Villa game, only this was a league game that Stoke were desperately trying to win, where apparently Aston Villa didn't give a crap. I was, about the FA Cup final, we're on holidays, we're told. We battered these guys in the first half yesterday. Theo scored first again. He scored early. We win every time Theo plays. This is my Well, he scored, play. what, 11 goals in his last 11 starts? So, I mean, yeah. it's it, it speaks for itself. Let, let's move on for a minute. Paul, I, I yeah. appreciate that, that you love Theo, and, and I do too. <laughs> um, I'm not going to – I'm not going to necessarily buy into – 
the idea that we couldn't have had that performance with him on the on the right. But we'll get to that in a second because I'll, I'll explain what, what my thinking is there. James, let's talk about a player that you have a lot of time for and I know is, is one of your favorites and a lot of our favorites, Aaron Ramsey. Um, we played so well yesterday, but for large stretches of the game, I, it felt like Ramsey couldn't really express himself or, or really stamp his influence on the game. How, how do you feel watching him play on the right? I felt yesterday he he was noticeably trying to stay on the right a little bit more um, to keep the shape. And you, know, you had some good contributions because he's always going to because he's a very special player. But I, I almost... I felt sad for him at one point because you're watching this player who works so hard and gives so much for the cause. And you see him against Wales, how he he really dominates and runs things. And then for us, he's he's just trying to do his best to adapt to this position. Is this almost a case where if you're not going to put him in his favored position, let's try something else? Because we're not we're not getting the contribution in the box from Ramsey with him out there. And we're certainly not getting him running the show in the middle of the park. What, what was your takeaway from his performance and just this general experiment of using him as a sort of nominal wide player? Um, so first of all, as you know, as, as of someone who does love Aaron, I do understand your point related to, you almost feel a little sorry for him because he has made it distinctly clear that, his preferred position is in in the center, and he, he's quite public about the fact that he wants to be moved away from the right. Um, but he is doing it, you know, he is sacrificing that for the sake of the team, and for the fact that you know, Santi Cazorla is so important to the way that this team plays at the moment. Um, but that being said, I don't, I don't really agree that he needs to be either moved back or we need to try something else because. This is a team sport. This isn't always about like how every single individual plays over the course of a game. It's about how the system that you invoke, that you implement for that match, how what what kind of performance that creates for the entirety of the team. And I think, although I do agree that I, I don't think his performance was great, I, he was certainly one of the least sort of stat players. That's one of the lesser players that stood out throughout throughout the match. But I think still his presence and what he brings to games also. More importantly, in like in other types of game uh, situations in games that we didn't really necessarily see against Stoke, um, he you know he did allow Bellerin to get uh, he gave Bellerin plenty of room down the right throughout the game. Bellerin was extremely dangerous going forward, um, whipped in the cross for for Theo and um, laid off another pass for Theo later on in the game. Um, so and you know Ramsey's Ramsey's got plenty of qualities as a player that over the course of the season that even when he's playing out on the right, I mean. You know, he was the player that did score the the non-allowed goal against uh, Liverpool, for example. So, just because in this single individual uh, game his performance wasn't really what was required from the team, because everyone else was playing so astound- um, so fantastically, and you could argue, I think, that because of what he brings to the setup, um, the way in which he plays in that setup, it allows the other players to flourish. I mean, I think you talk about, say, potentially as Yuru centre forward and Walker on the right. I mean, that speaks volumes for perhaps the maybe an increase in the number of goals we could potentially score in that type of game, maybe. Um, but also in a different game scenario where we're you know nil nil and we're you know we're we're looking a little edgy and, and the team starts to 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 dominate the possession slightly more, then you know the player you're gonna want on the right in, in certain game situations is, is Ramsey. And I think over the course of even if say Santi arguably stays fit for a long period of time, he's the player that suits the system um, better than anyone else. Um, especially when you just look at the, statistically speaking, the kind of performances and the kind of results we've churned out 
when we've played them there. Um, from an individual point of view for Aaron, I don't, you know, I, I've, I imagine he is frustrated, but I think, first of all, his principal goal will be to ensure that the side does well, because even from an individual per, um, point of view, it gives him a higher chance of, of winning um, accolades. Um, but B, if he, you know, he's a smart man, he'll, he'll realize, you know, Sandy's coming towards the end of his career. Long term, that is going to be his position. But also, once you, we get to have our first midweek game comes up um, this Wednesday, and once that starts kicking in, there will, you know, Santi is likely to, you know, probably suffer some sort of injury at some point if it isn't before, um, uh, if it is before Aaron, um, and he's going to have to be rested for plenty of games. So I'm sure we still will see plenty of um, games in which Aaron um, operates from the central midfield position. Yeah, I, I mean, not to overplay the the negative of it, but he was dispossessed four times, most among the team, which takes some doing to be dispossessed more than Sanchez usually, but there you go. Um, he had an unsuccessful touch. He had no key passes. He had no shots on target. Um, and I'm not picking on him because he's still, his energy, his work rate, he contributed. And it was a team performance, as you say. I just wonder if there's not a better performance the team can have with a player who really can thrive in that position, whether that's a Theo or an Oxlade Chamberlain or Joel Campbell, maybe, I don't know. Um, can and, I just say, go ahead. Can I just say, cause I know what you're talking about and somebody said it on Twitter yesterday and I went back when I watched the game a second time, I watched him and yeah, he was very meat and potatoes, which, you know, well, we've been crying out for him to do that. So let's not, you know, yeah. right. Keep it and I liked it. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it, it, I do feel if you take the front six, or the front, the most attacking part of our, our of our team, the front five. You're never going to have all five with the great highlights reel in every game. You almost need somebody to be meat and potatoes. And if that was his, that's kind of my feeling on it. It was his day to be a bit more meat and potatoes, but he was still good and solid and did all the things we want him to be doing, apart from the dispossessions. Um, to be fair, Sanchez was actually really good yesterday at holding on to the ball, and when he cut inside, predictable as it was, it was very effective. And so, um, you know, th there's that side in the having the most dispossessions. But I did think he was part of what was working yesterday, even if he had the, he was the janitor sweeping the floors and keeping the school clean for the kids. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the defensive side of the game for a minute because yeah. we really dominated. I mean, 68% possession, 29 shots, 12 on target. Um, uh, Ozil and Cazorla were just magnificent. Um, they, they uh, let's see, San Santa Cazorla, seven key passes. Mesut Ozil, eight key passes. Uh, they, they really ran the show, but they had a platform to do that Francis Coughlin, I have to admit, the more he plays, the more he wins you over. Just a spectacular performance again. Koscielny and, and Gabriel looked fantastic at the back, and then Czech was solid. We're starting to see that spine, that platform for the attacking players to build off of. Um, uh, Paul, just quickly on, on Coughlin, how do you see this development of his, this transformation into not just a destroyer, but a, a really key component to what Arsenal are doing? And while he had the the, the key tackle that led to Ozil's magnificent ball for our, our first goal. What did you make of his contribution in possession? Because we know what he can do out of possession. What did, what did you think of, of how he's becoming a, a cog in, in that possession play in midfield? Well, I thought he was, uh, I, I think anybody who didn't think he was superb yesterday uh, is, is really thinking all they want is Pir Pirlo in that position. But I think what you get with Coquelin, a bit like the, 
Tio and Sanchez, you know, they kind of they bring something or Tio brings an opportunity for Sanchez. With Santi and Coquelin, you have this yin and yang. You know, anything you want Coquelin to be able to do, well, well, don't. Just just let Santi do it. I mean, he was so good. Santi was so good going forward. They analyzed um, it on Match of the Day, showing that when Coughlin was at his best, he would make the tackle or the interception, collect the ball, and give it simply yeah, to Cazorla. Give it simple. Yep. And I'm, I guess I find that a bit reductive of him at times, but it was never more true and more, more the case than yesterday. In fact, it was almost like he tried a few of his diagonals and they weren't coming off yesterday, and he decided he'd keep it simple. But to be fair to him, when he, he – when he his short passes, I mean, he did two or three. He actually did three short uh, angled passes out to the left that put people through on goal. People like uh, Ozil, etc. Where his actual short passing, where he was being progressive with it, was actually very effective yesterday. The guy has tackers. He he's not just a destroyer, but even if he were just a destroyer, if you took that part of his game yesterday, it was essential. Destroying is creation, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're winning back the ball, and it's a turnover, and you're hurting the opposition. It's it's more valuable than if you got a slow build-up from the back. If you suddenly win it in midfield, turn it around, as we saw on the goal, but we saw it throughout. I mean, he has such pop and snap in his athleticism. Uh, you know, strengthens the defense, but also springboard for the attack. We saw it on the goal. It was a superb example of it. But that sudden turnover, they're not expecting those interceptions. I mean, it's deadly. And he's part of that presence. The back four plus Coquelin are a really important part of kind of turnovers, uh, the pressing game, because those were all really front-footed players yesterday. Gabriel, uh, Kishelny, Coquelin, uh, Bellerin, and Monreal were all on it. I mean, our uh, ball-winning backs yesterday, I mean, they didn't have it for more than a second before we took the second thing back from them for most of that game. There was a period they they got to play a little bit, but part of our effectiveness attacking was we smothered them every time they came near us. I mean, they just pounced on us. So yeah. Stoke were Cop- terrible. I don't think we should overlook that. That's a bad team. They were, I mean, they could they were, they were terrible, but I think it was one of those days we mostly made them terrible. That's, That's fair. Just, I, you know, I think the problem for Stoke, and you guys know this because on our WhatsApp chat, I said I expected us to smash them, is they do not have the balance right now between the Stoke they used to be and the Stoke they're trying to become. Yeah. Um, and I think on away days against good teams, they're going to get smashed because they are not built to sit and defend deep. That's just not going to happen for them, especially without Shawcross. Um, they probably would have liked Charlie Adams stomping on people and kicking people up the backside yesterday. They didn't have him. Um, let me just turn it over to you, James, for a second. Uh, so Theo's goal was gorgeous, but we missed a lot of chances, which meant the game was still in the balance in the second half. And the manager took Theo off for Giroud. Now, my feeling at the time was, look, if Stoke want to get anything from the game, they're going to have to continue to come out more and more and play a little more and play a little more and try to score. And by taking Theo off, you're really not leaving a lot of pace on. And, and he hadn't brought Oxlade Chamberlain on at that point. Is it a little frustrating for you when we have a lead and we know the other team is going to be coming out to make that straight Giroud for Theo swap, um, given that that's the time of the game when you really think 
having some pace on the counterattack could benefit us. Um, and by bringing in Giroud, you give the, that opposition more of a chance to push higher up the pitch? No, it, does, it doesn't really frustrate me that much because I think we've seen over um, previous seasons that this idea of like just by having a fast forward when we're soaking up pressure, especially late on in games where um, the pressure really mounts and for whatever reason, you know, teams' ability to actually retain the ball becomes a little more difficult at times. That we don't actually end up creating as many, you know, obviously counterattacking opportunities do come about, but um, the downside is that you also can end up um, losing a lot of possession and having to soak up far more pressure defensively. So, you know, one of the obviously de defensive contributions that Giroud brings in that regard is his ability to provide an out, um, especially when if we if we end up sitting a little deeper, which we do tend to like to do when we're protecting a lead. Um, so then, why not for Giroud and and keep Walcott on the pitch and have that, you know, because Giroud can't you you play that out ball and then he's great at that that flick on. You know, he's so good at, at finding runners when he has them. What Doesn't it make sense when we have a lead late to leave a runner on, especially for Giroud to find on the counterattack? No, because A, you, just, you never take Ramsey out. I mean, he's your fittest player on the field. His, okay, okay his, fine. Sanchez or, you know, whoever it is, you know. Well, but San, Sanchez also brings, you know, it's not like the players we have on the – Ramsey certainly no um, um, slow coach that – your Ozil, Sanchez, they're all players that are still able to provide counterattacking qualities. I don't think you're required to have Theo on the field. And I think, in fact, that's you, that dynamic, that change of dynamic causes more issues for an, an opposition defense. And I mean, it's it's a funny time to bring it up in, in a game in which we were then able to provide another outlet to score from. I mean, counterattacking isn't the only way you end up scoring goals when you're sitting deeper. I mean, of uh, course not. Look, I just, I, I've seen this and it worries me, which is, this Theo for Giroud straight swap, and we saw it, I think, I can't remember, maybe it was against Liverpool, I'm not sure who it was against, but the, when we made the swap, it couldn't have been against Liverpool. Anyway, it was it was a game recently. The opposition played... Newcastle. 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 Yeah, they played 10 yards further up the pitch immediately. Um, or 20 yards further up the pitch. And there really is, I mean, Ramsey's not going to run behind anyone. That, that Sanchez can, but I don't know that that's really his game. I just, I would love, you know, that straight running that Theo can do, I think is such a compliment to Giroud's game, especially when the opposition has to come at you a little bit. So th that's the only I thing do, that... I don't disagree when you're in a game where you're, where you feel like there's actually like a decent probability that you might concede and therefore you want to increase your chance of winning by by adding that added potential to score to score a goal. But, I mean, in both those games, when Giroud came on and then, you know, obviously supplemented by an Arteta figure, etc., I don't remember us, come, like, conceding a single chance. I mean, there was a moment in the Newcastle game where the ball came across and, like, it was a bit of a scramble. But, you know, you have to, you know, from Arsenal's point of view, from the team's perspective, the most important thing is, is, is the three-point. There's not always by winning by a large margin. We saw a lot during the season where we... Started strongly, the lot of one nil and two nil victories very consistently over the, of at home because we added that defensive solidity. And I think that team ethic. I mean, I think it, it's been working extremely well. I think you've got to assess it from a probability standpoint. Does bringing on as you ruin and the, the contribution that it provides both from retaining possession, he still provides an outlet through which we can score. We can still counterattack, just not as effectively. Um, but he also adds, you know, obviously to a lesser degree, but he he adds both defensive and offensive. Um, capabilities from set pieces. Um, 
do we have a higher chance of being able to sit deep like people do over a shorter period of time and and not concede? I would I would argue yes. Um, that's probably the major component that you look to focus on in order to make ensure that you take the three points home having already had a lead. Um, but it also... I think we talked recently about controlling games, and he brings more control to the state of the game. To's kind of you want him on at the start because you're rolling the dice, but it's in your favor, and it might feel like it's the better bet, but the reality is you want to close out a game with when you're ahead with 20 minutes to go. You want to you want a measure of control over the game, and over the course of a season that builds confidence. Yeah, I agree. Okay, I mean that that's fair. Look, I I'm not married to the idea that it was the wrong move. I just think that for me personally, you know, I, I think one of my frustrations is the qualities Giroud has, and he has some fantastic qualities, I think would complement having Theo on the pitch. And the fact that Theo basically isn't considered as a winger anymore, he's just one of the striker alternatives, is sort of strange to me. And I, I think if you can play it long to Giroud and he can control the ball, he's great at flick-ons, he's great at finding those runners. Um, you know, he, he isn't always a goal-scoring threat himself from open play, but he can create goal-scoring threat if he has people running in behind. Um, it is a little strange to me that the two don't don't ever mm. get the chance to play together. Um, okay, but I, do, I do agree, I, but I don't think he's not considered as a right-wing forward, and I'm actually sure we'll, we, there will be times when we see that combination. Well, we haven't seen it I yet think, this season. Let's just put the, it that way. Well, the reason for that is because you, you, in order to have the two of them playing, you, you have to drop Ramsey and you, or you have to drop Santi, and I, I just think that... Or doesn't get subbed on or played. Yeah, I, I, I just don't think it like suits the team right now, but you, we will see it. I mean, we, it will, they may be forced into action through injuries or through rotation or whatever, but you know, there will be game situations, probably where we're looking to score goals or where we need a goal, where we might, I'm sure we might see the two of them play that way. Fair I just enough. don't think it's something that's been needed. It, like, it was mean, born at... It works with the current players that are available. We always say it's a results-based business. He made the swap and Giroud came on and got the second goal and made the game safe. Um... You know, and it simple, simple finish for him that he put away. But I think it's ironic in that the goal that Giroud scored is so easy for a standard center forward, and he scored it. But we saw a very similar easy-headed opportunity for Theo that he didn't score in the first half. At the same time, the goal that Theo scored in a million years of Saturdays, Giroud would never score that goal. So we got two goals from the qualities that make our two striker options very different. Um, which is good to see. Uh, as far as the Giroud miss, Paul, I mean, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but, you know, I mean, worried that, that he's he looks that uncomfortable in front of goal right now or just – Yeah, I, get I'm through. more worried about Ali than Theo. Um, you know, Theo always kind now of – you're singing my tune. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Theo – uh, bubbles up to some level of, of of confidence and cockiness at some point. Once he's banged in a couple of goals, you know, he, he'll think he's king of the world. Um, I always thought Ollie was a sense of sensitive soul. And I was always, when I heard the Thierry Henry comment, it was because what really worried me was it's Thierry Henry, they're both French, and, you know, the whole that whole French... Uh, echo box. It was always going to come echo chamber. It was always going to come back and reverberate for Ollie uh, in his head. That was never going to go away quickly. So 
I do think I do I am concerned he's going to suffer with a bit of a lack of confidence. I do think Theo playing and if he does well going forward will help Ollie because it's going to he doesn't want all of the pressure on him. It's somebody to share it with. It's somebody who's a different kind of player. So, you know, you're competing for the same space, but it's it's not a, a remotely similar player where he's doing the things you you know what you do well, and Theo's never going to do what Ali does well. So, um, uh, in the short term, I'm worried about Ali. But I think it'll come back to them. They're going to get plenty of, both going to share plenty of minutes. They're going to have lots of chances. So I'm hopeful that Ollie will get back to the best, the purple patch Ollie, and uh, have a really good run. And, you know, the, the toggling back and forward with him and Theo, I think, is as good a striker situation as you're going to have. And you, you brought in Benzema there. I never really understood that bit of it. I don't think that was going to work very well for Ollie's psychology, having the guy who he loses out to in the French team be brought in as the striker. Well, and let's face can it. Do I, a lot of the Ollie stuff. Paul, I think if you're bringing in Benzema, it's not to get the best out of Giroud. It's to essentially yeah. replace him and put him a lot further down the pecking order. It didn't happen, so it's you know no point analyzing it. Now, let's do this. Let's get to some quick hits here and, and just a couple quick thoughts. Final thought. Um, a couple quick final thoughts about this game. Alexis Sanchez, um, I don't think he was bad by any means. I don't think anyone was bad for Arsenal yesterday, but does he need a goal? Um, Does he need a slight change of system? Do you feel that he just needs to keep playing and play himself into form because he's a short preseason, James? What do you make of of how he performed yesterday? The game at times sort of passed him by. Uh, I I actually thought he looked really sharp yesterday. I mean, within the first seven minutes, he I think he had like. We well, should have had a goal. Yeah. <laughs> he, he had he had two or three chances. He'd had the free kick. Um, he'd hit the post twice. I all I mean, I mean I maybe misremembered. It was very like within a very short period of time, very early on in the game. Yeah, and then and, he sort of drifted. I felt after that. Yeah, I mean, listen, I but. To be I thought he was you, really good. I thought he was. I I thought he was one of our best players. I mean, I think that maybe. I take it back. <laughs> when um, <laughs> they were part of the game when he wasn't great, but you know the first chance, I don't think on any other given day, you know he 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 needs to do that any differently. I thought that was just an absolutely excellent save. I think he you know that chance, the one when he hit the inside of the post. I mean like he created that chance himself, and he was extremely unlucky not to score. He looked really lively. I I, I yeah. think he needs a goal, but he, of all the players on the side, he's the person I'm least concerned about getting goals. I think. I'm, you know, I, I could put a lot of money on him scoring plenty this season, so I'm, yeah, I'm not concerned about that. Compared more to his scintillating best that we've seen for him, he's he's been more of a fringe player so far to the extent that he's yeah. ever going to be on the fringes. Um, and I was just curious that, to that, see if you think that being, there's something missing uh, there. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. But you know, that being said, had those two shots gone in, you know, we would be talking about like an app. I, I obviously that it's a big sort of qualifier, but you know, he. If if that first shot had gone in and the other shot had just gone inside the post, like the rest of his performance would be discussed, talked about as like as an extremely strong performance, like yep. a player full of confidence and a player that was always posing a significant amount of danger to the opposition. So like, I'm really not I really am not that concerned about Alexis. Um, although the one thing I would really like to see from him this season, and it would be great to do it now given that he hasn't even scored yet, is to come up and and score in the big big games because I I don't really remember him. Uh, I know he scored that really good goal against Dortmund last season. Um, I don't, you know, they they weren't exactly like a top top side, 
and I don't really remember him coming up in against like the top four sides and and scoring, but I could be wrong. Yeah, no, I, look, I think ultimately my my point wasn't that he stinks. It was more just that you know he's he's sort of we're not necessarily seeing that scintillating best from him right now. Um, but you're right, it's a good point. He had two good chances to score. He was a little unlucky with both. Um, so. Let's move on from this game because I think, honestly, it was a fantastic performance. We dominated the game. I tend to think the opposition was pretty poor, but you still have to go out and and take advantage of that, and we did. Everybody knows that there were a ton of chances that we didn't convert, but I think the fact that we created those chances is ultimately a good sign, and we are the team that has created the most chances in the Premier League, so a lot to be excited about. Um, Real quick, I don't want to spend a ton of time looking forward to the trip to Zagreb, but Giant Gunner, uh, Giant Gunner at Giant Gunner, Paul asks, how aggressively would you rotate for Zagreb given the trip to Chelsea uh, coming up? It it is a typical screw job. We have the Wednesday away match and then the early match away on Saturday. Yeah. uh, Not much. Uh, I think, I, I think. So you want continuity over rest? Yeah, especially you want to bottle that performance. I mean, the next game is going to be completely different, even with the same side. But you want to bottle as much of that. Uh, you know, Zagreb will be playing at home, so hopefully they're they're not uh, they're not parking a dynamo bus when we get there. So there's no reason this team shouldn't do well out there. Um, now maybe you think ahead to the Chelsea game, but what do you do different? It seems like at Stamford Bridge, that's a game we should we should also have at least some attacking opportunities there because they should hopefully play a little bit. Um, though you never know at the moment, he he may just do some damage limitation. I think right now, I I you know I do get frustrated sometimes. Uh, Wenger doesn't rotate more. But I understand his the method of his madness. Right now, I don't think it's rotate time. These guys have all uh, just come back from the interlull. Um, mm-hmm. They're all, you know, it's early in the season. Well, we're still trying to click, right? I mean, that we the goal still, is yeah. to hit that hit or, our stride. Or, yeah. or maybe we just kind of clicked, and therefore you don't shuffle the deck. So, um, if it were later on in the season. I, I would be a more willing uh, participant in a rotation decision. But right now, I think keep doing what you're doing. All right, James, I'm going to give you three players who didn't start at the weekend. You tell me if you think any of them will start in Zagreb. Debushi? Not interested. Um, well, funny enough, when you asked Paul that question, he was the, he was the one player that um, I was wondering in my head, maybe he's the one that, that comes in. Because I don't really see what you, I mean, we'll see based on the other questions. I'm 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 very unsure on the answer to that. I ju- I do think Arsenal will adopt um a high level of con- continuity given the fitness of the players. Well, the well let me ask you the three players and you tell me if you think they'll start. Okay. okay. Uh, so so do you want all three or do you want me to go one at a time? Go all three. Go all three. Okay. Debushi, Giroud, Oxlade Chamberlain. Um and Per? No, let let's let's say Per is what is wrong with Murdasacker? <laughs> He's just done well. <laughs> He's got a pretty, pretty terrible sickness. I, I, I was, I was wondering during the week because you missed the old illnesses like the palsy and the gout and plague and the Plague's tremors. Bad. The plague, yeah, 
plague, though, you kind of understand. Well, what wait, that is. stop. Look, I like I, I, I'm going to get to Murdasacker. I had a Murdasacker question, so so don't answer that. Just the three players I, I list: <laughs> Debushi, <laughs> Debushi, Oxley, Chamberlain, Giroud. Do you think any uh, or all of them will start against Zagreb on Wednesday? I don't think Giroud will. Um, I, I kind of think Oxley Chamberlain will, but then I think about it, and I just I don't know how he gets back in the side. So no. Um, and Debushi, Bellerin, I can't tell given the uh, decision for, I think, it was, was it the Community Shield? or um, I can't tell whether Arsenal does want to try and get Debushi some first team minutes and maybe he chooses a game like Dynamo. So I've, I'm going to go Bellerin because I, I do think it's going to be pretty much the same side, but that's the one that I think is the most likely to be open. I think all three will start. And I think there's an outside chance that Arteta will as well. Um, Ballsy. Yeah, wow. yeah, I think he's wow. gonna, I think he's gonna get them all in there. And okay, so now I want to get to the Chelsea match, and a lot of questions about the obvious. Um, o at abs underscore afc asks Theo or Giroud up front at Chelsea, and similarly Ryan Peterson at r peterson eighteen asks based on this season so far, would you take a run pun at starting Ox, Theo, and Alexis up top versus uh, CFC? So Paul. Theo or Giroud, and do you think there's a possibility that even Alexis comes in the front line as well? I mean, uh, pardon me, Oxley Chamberlain. Uh, definitely Theo in this game. I mean, you could predict me saying Theo in every game, but if I had to pick one game of the year that I want to see Theo start, I just don't want us to fall into an old pattern we've had against Chelsea. Nobody likes facing pace, um, and so. Absolutely, Theo against Chelsea. For no matter how much they close us down, no matter how much we get into that, oh, you can't play against a defensive team who who's going to keep a, a a deep block and blah blah blah. Play him in behind. He'll give them some conniptions, and let's do something different than we've done over the last few years against Chelsea. Give him something to think about. Giroud has never looked less effective than against, against Chelsea last season. Yeah. And I just think John Terry is begging for it to be Giroud. Um, yeah. You know, Cahill and Terry are begging for it to be Giroud. Um, Ivanovic is begging for it to be Giroud too. I mean, yeah. if you look at how Ch- Chelsea have conceded the most chances this season and pace has killed them. Um, Montero like destroyed the, them on the wing. A bit like the referee thing. Uh, sorry, Elliot. But yeah. A bit like the referee thing and the uh, goalkeepers against us. Chelsea will not look that bad against us next week. You can guarantee you. They may not look that bad, but I think there are certain things that are just a reality for Chelsea right now, which is that Matic is not as good as he was at the start of last season. And Mm. they don't have that shield protecting them. Ivanovic is no longer capable Mm. of running with a pacey winger or a dribbly winger. I mean, Sanchez could destroy him, eat his lunch if they play Ivanovic on the right. And Walcott can get him behind... Cahill and Terry and Chelsea are in a really bad spot here because they have to win. A draw doesn't help them. They can no longer afford to be dropping points, especially at home. And they've got to show up and, and perform. They've got to, you know, Mourinho needs to impress. And and this is against the enemy he likes to beat up the most. So I think Chelsea, it's a little incumbent upon them to come out and play. They have to go for three points. And, you know, if we have Theo and Sanchez in there switching and alternating, Ivanovic, Cahill, and Terry are going to shit themselves. That is that is a tough, tough situation for them. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's the perfect time to be facing them with Matic in the form he's in because you could really see Ozil having some joy against him and, and Cazorla and Coughlin 
maybe having it a little easier with, with Fabregas. Now, do I think Eden Hazard's going to continue to play as poorly as he has? I don't. Um, but, you know, again, I'm not saying we're going to beat him 5-0. We just have to beat him. Uh, James, for you, same question about who you'd play up front. And then also, if Murtisacker is fit, does he come back in? Or has Gabriel done enough to make this his position until we see something that would require him to lose it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, definitely Theo up top, no doubt about it. Okay, um, we're all in agreement there. Like, Hooray! Mark it down. He, <laughs> he also has, like, uh, in addition to everything else that was said, he also has a great record against Chelsea. Um, Murdersacker. I you, I really like Gabriel. That's 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 the problem I have, as you guys know well. He's um, winning me over. I'll give you that. He was great. Uh, um, I mean, He's that so back good. four was great yesterday. I, I would keep it the same. I, I just really, really like four players, well, certainly three, that just have a ton of pace. Um, they're constantly able to aggressively um, attack the ball. I mean, Gabriel just looks like... Mertzak is so good and so calm. He So often, like, he doesn't even need to win a header. He just, like, chests it down to, to Bellerin um, or Cochran or whoever it is. But Gabriel, he just looks so ferocious. I love that moment where he... Um, Brought on Altovich down when he was recovering and trying to get himself back in the game. Like you don't really see that from from like a Mertesacker or, or not that many play, players in the team aside from Coquelin. Uh, yeah, I love Gabriel is like that crazy guy in your gang. You know, you guys like to look a little tough, but this guy's actually a fucking psycho. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you never yeah. know when he's going to go off. Yeah, he. Uh, I would not be surprised if like as a pastime he was some sort of serial killer or something to that effect. Because I mean. He, I don't know, I, I really like Gabriel, so my answer to that question is going to be um, keep Gabriel because I could see him forming a really, really, really strong partnership with Koscielny and um, maybe Murtisaka slowly gets, I don't know, but uh, it's, it's tough because obviously he's the captain. Anyway, um, I go for Gabriel. I don't know what, I don't know what Arsenal's going to do though. I have no idea. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, I, I, the only thing is I... I know Pear and Koss have such a tight relationship and Pear has the experience. Um, but I, I think it's tough. I mean, what you ask any player when they when their chance comes and they get a chance to start is to make the starting job theirs with their performances. And Gabriel hasn't done anything that should cost him his role. Uh, I'm not sure he's been challenged all that much either. Um, and, you know, maybe it's unfair. You could say he wasn't great against Liverpool that first half, but he was alongside Chambers, which on that day, no one was going to look good alongside Chambers. So I don't know. I, I guess we will see. Um, it's going to be really interesting what he does in Zagreb because I think we should be favorites there, but we haven't been great away in Europe over the years, even against the quote-unquote lesser lights of our group. And given that we have Bayern in the group, we have to win. We have to take some points away to Olympiacos and and – Zagreb. So maybe he'll play it conservative and go all out with what he considers his best starting 11 there and hope that it just clicks and that that gives us even more momentum going into Stanford Bridge. But I'll just ask you, I'll, I'll let you guys go on this. Paul, prediction for the Chelsea match? Oh, Jesus. 1-1. Uh, James? Uh, um, I think we're going to win it 1-0. I'll say 2-1 Arsenal. So there you have it. Uh, wow. Captain Negative over here predicting the win. <laughs> yeah. 
Just going off brand. Sorry, guys. I tell you, the one time you really come good is these predictions. You're so ballsy. I, you know, here's the reality, right? I, people could call me negative, positive. I'll admit, I, I can be a glass half empty kind of guy when it comes to my analysis. But at the end of the day, I, I'm an optimist. It's the hope. I always hope we can win. I always believe we can win. I always want us to win. I just, I get frustrated, you me. know, and, and we all have our opinions. I, you know, one thing that I've decided, I'm going to tone down the Giroud criticism. Not because I think it affects him. What does Giroud care what a guy in a podcast or on Twitter says? It's absolutely ridiculous that that affects his performance. It'd be nice if he listened. Well, let's put it this way. Everybody knows where I stand on him. I don't think he's a great first option for us. I think he's a very decent player. But I think Arsenal need more than a decent center forward to win a league. You know that. It's out there. I can't say it any more clearly than I have. I'm not adding anything to the discourse anymore by by criticizing Giroud. So there's just nothing more to be gained by me doing it. So I'm, I'm definitely going to try to tone that down because it's it's really redundant at this point. Um, uh, and so, you know, we'll see how long that lasts. Um, my, fir- my first tweet of the of the Zagreb game, FFS Giroud. <laughs> um, all right. Well, you want to follow these two gentlemen on, on Twitter. They are Paul. You can find them at Positive In My Pants. Paul, always great to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. That was fun. Yeah, it was fun. And James is found on Twitter at GoonerFanatic49. James, great speaking with you. Cheers, lovely. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Please leave us a five-star review or a seven-star or a 12-star review of this podcast. Um, You can say all kinds of mean stuff in the review. Just make it a lot of stars. I mean, we're not really content-driven. This is a superficial podcast. We're not reading this stuff. No, we're not re- no one's reading it. We just we just want more people to download Stories. it so that all our sponsors and advertisers get lots and lots of revenue from this. Um, anywho, uh, it is always a pleasure to talk Arsenal with both you guys. I look forward to speaking to you after the Zagreb game and then hopefully look forward to speaking to you after Chelsea away. First time in a long time, I think we'll have some optimism going into a trip to Stamford Bridge and facing Mourinho. So looking forward to that. Until next time, enjoy your week. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. Cheers. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. In the latest episode of History This Week, we take a closer look at a failed insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building in 1861, when the nation was on the cusp of a civil war. Nearly 160 years later, what can we learn from this moment when democracy was challenged? And check out all our episodes this month as History This Week celebrates Black History Month. Last week, we covered the Greensboro sit-ins that sparked a media firestorm and inspired mass sit-ins across the country. Next week, we travel to Australia and witness Sydney students taking a freedom ride of their own for Aboriginal civil rights. After that, we'll be exploring the origins of jazz. For these stories and more, subscribe to History This Week wherever you listen to podcasts. A-Cash, 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 A-Cash recommends. recommends.